Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. Joshua had an amazing treasury of faith, and he used his influence to pass it down to the next generation of leaders in Israel. He reminded them of God's protection, provision, and faithfulness as they are now in the promised land, settled and at rest. of Cheryl's message titled, The Treasury of Faith. They have no money, and all of a sudden this drunk guy takes off his hat and goes, Oh, give this little couple some money. Have a heart. Look at them out in this Arizona sun doing all this for us. And my dad's, you know, in the letters that he's typing, he's got exactly what this drunk guy's saying. And this drunk guy goes and collects money from everybody and puts the pressure on to give to this, this young couple. And then he comes and he gives the money to my mom and dad. And my dad turns to my mom and says, well, I guess you get a root beer. I love those stories. I love those stories. Those are my treasury. Those are like, Oh my goodness, when I think about God's faithfulness to his parents, to my parents, but then I think about God's personal faithfulness to me. I have a testimony. I have battles that I've been through that God himself fought for me. There was the battle for my soul. There was the great battle which God fought Satan and sin and death and my own rebellious nature to bring me to himself and how he brought me to himself, how he continued and never gave up on me, how he delivered me from the bondage of my own self, the sinful practices I was emancipated from, the victories he has given me personally, not only my salvation, but victory in trials and the trials I've been through. You see, you also have a testimony. You have a personal testimony and it includes your salvation and emancipation and deliverance, but it also is God's provision. I think of all the bills he has paid. Um, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir used to have this, this song and I just loved it and it was food on the table. You know, just all the things God had provided. And, you know, my kids were like so sick of hearing that, you know, and they'd go around going food on the table, you know, like mom's doing it again. But I think of all the bills he's paid. Have you ever got one of those bills like, oh, I don't know how we're going to do this one. And then God comes through. The home he has provided, the food, the clothing, the transportation, the family, the community. I just think about all those things. But then also it's God's promises to me, to you. Do you have a promise that God's fulfilled? 
I can turn almost any place in the Bible and find a promise and say, yep, he did that for me. Yep, he did that for me. I know these promises and how he has fulfilled his word. Then there's his protection. All those times where God protected us from destruction, devastation, deprivation, disaster, even death. God came through. I mean, I've got too many stories like that. Too many. Nobody should have that many stories. Being a child in the Yom Kippur War and being the first plane with my father, singing Heaven is a Wonderful Place, taking out of Israel. And I remember we went to Ben Gurion Airport. They had the lights all off. They put us all in the plane with flashlights because Israel was under attack. We all get on the plane. We have to keep the shades down. The lights are off inside the plane. And all of a sudden they light up the airport. We take off and then the lights go off at Ben Gurion. And we had to fly without lights on our plane. My dad thought that was great. Who else has a testimony like this, Cheryl? I was in public school then. Just think what you can tell those kids in school. You can give a witness about how you were in the war and God saved you. Like, okay, okay. Tell me again. What's the script at? But God, but God. Just recently when we were in Australia, we, through booking.com, we got room a two-bedroom, two-bathroom apartment because we were sharing it with Linda um, Rourke and it was less expensive than staying at the Holiday Inn for two people, you know, in two rooms. So we got one room and they put us on the 69th floor and then they gave us those things like, tell all your friends how nice we are. But it was like this incredible room with this view. So we're on the 69th floor and the gym's on the 64th floor. We've got jet lag, but Linda says, do you want to see the gym? And I say, yeah, let's go see the gym. So we go out of our room I really am going to get to the Bible state. We get out of our room and we get in the elevator and we don't know what we're doing because it's one of those high-tech ones that you've got to show a card. And so it opens on the 65th floor. And I said, Linda, let's just get out and take the stairs. So we get out, we take the stairs only to find out that in this grimy, dingy, dark stairwell up on floor 65, the doors do not open. So we go up a flight and the stair does not open. Now, neither one of us brought our cell phones, right? And Brian is asleep by this time because he's got jet lag. And there we are. And I'm thinking, we will not be found for days. (laughs) We're on the 65th floor of this abandoned stairwell. So we go down a floor, the door's locked. We go down another floor, the door's locked. We keep going down floors, hoping that maybe if we get to the bottom, the door will be unlocked. But... Hallelujah. On the 36th floor, the door was wedged open. I don't know how, because I tried every door. I'm telling you, I tried 64, 63, 62, 61, 60, and it was open. And we jumped out of there. All she would say to me the whole time is, aren't you glad you're not alone? Yes, (laughs) yes, yes, yes. Because I, you know, but we get out. We jump in the elevator. Now the elevator won't work. The doors are closed and they won't open and we're not going anywhere. We're hitting the alarm button. And finally, it takes us down to the lobby. Hallelujah. We get off at the lobby and we're like, our cards don't work. And they're like, you were in the residence elevator. How did you get in the residence elevator? We're like, boy, do we have a story for you. You know, if there was a fire, all those doors are locked. We would perish in the stairwell. But you know, when I got out of there, I was just 
I said, Linda, that's a miracle. It's a miracle. You know, and then I had to wake up Brian. You don't know. I almost died. This is what we have to pass on. It's personal. It's personal. It's individualized for each one of you. Each one of you have a story. It's personal, but it's also communal. We can talk together of all that God has brought us through. It's eternal. It's not going to stop. Like, well, you've had all the promises. You've had all the blessings of faith you're going to have. No, it keeps going. You know, God's still fighting for me. He's still opening doors on the 36th floor, still wedging them open for me. He has not left me. It's a blessing. It still brings God's favor. It's protective. It's securing and stabilizing. And it's my faith in Jesus Christ. And this is what I want to give my kids. This is what they need. This is what will help. This will bless and protect. And it's essential that we pass it on and pass it down. It is living. You see, we need to tell our children that God saves and he wants to save them. We need to remind them of God's work in their life, of God's deliverance to them, of God's promises, God's blessing, God's warning to them. See, you have your own faith story to pass on, but you need to show them this next generation how God is already working in their life. Paul the apostle When he was in Nero's prison and he was awaiting certain death, he wrote an epistle to Timothy. And he said, look, I know I'm going to die, but Timothy, it's so important. It's so essential that you take this faith, this faith that was in Eunice, your grandmother, this faith that was in Lois, your mother, this faith that you've heard and you've seen in me, this faith that, that you have and you stir it up. And you continue in it, that you don't stop, but you keep that which was committed to you, that you're strong in the grace of God. And then he says in 2 Timothy 2, 2, that you commit the things, this faith that you have heard to faithful men who will be able to teach them to others. That's what it's about. Recently at our When Leaders Lead retreat, Donna had bought this fountain that had one pot pouring into another pot that poured into another pot. And then the waters regenerated back to the first pot. And I thought, that's what faith does. It pours out completely to the next one. And then the next one pours out what they're receiving to the next one. That's what we do with faith. We are filled with faith. And then we pour out the blessings of faith to the next generation. And then they pass it on to the next generation. But how do we do this? Now we're at the text. Joshua 23. That's how we do it. We look at Joshua. You know, his influence. He used it. He might be old and advanced in years. And most commentaries say he's at least 110. So for those of you who are feeling old, well, you got a ways to go. He's at least 110. But he's been faithful to the call. He has led Israel into the promises. He has established the tribes in their allotments according to the directives of the Lord. And now the nation of Israel is settled and it's at rest. At this time, it's believed 30 years 
30 years or so. They're settled. They've adapted to this new way of life. The nomadic life is over. They're no longer living in tents. They've got houses and they've got farms. Their enemies are subdued before them. And Joshua calls the leadership in verse 2 of chapter 23 all together. He calls the elders, the heads of households, the judges, the officers, because he is going to pass on the treasury of faith to them. That's what he's going to do. Now, it's interesting because remember, Moses passed this down just to Joshua. But Joshua, who is a type of Christ, he passes it out to all of Israel. All of Israel. Not just one leader, but he says, your leaders, your officers. This needs to become very personal. It is time for these elders to lead. He is passing on the treasury of faith, that which will sustain them, establish them, protect them, bless them. Because faith in God alone will do these things. And he begins by acknowledging his own weakness, old and advanced in years. In other words, you can't lean and you can't depend on me. I'm not going to always be here. You know, there's something that's called grandchildren's faith, right? You can't Let's see, how do I want to say this? You know what I mean? You can't lean on somebody else's faith. Like the virgins in Matthew 25 that were saying, you know, give us some of your oil. Each one has to have their own personal supply of oil or relationship to God, the the work of the Holy Spirit. We each need it individually. And this is what Joshua is saying. You can't lean on me. You can't wear bracelets that would say WW. JD, what would Joshua do? I'm passing off the scene. You have to have the direct line open to the Lord. You must transfer all the faith that you've had, all the security that you've had on me in Jesus. You know, there are a lot of people that were secure as long as Chuck Smith was in this pulpit. And I have to say, I never worried about a situation when I was with my dad. Like I said, Yom Kippur, war, whatever. I always felt safe in the presence of my dad. It's like, it was like the temple in Jerusalem. As long as that temple's there, I'm totally safe. And as long as Chuck was there, we all felt safe. And there were people that trusted more in Chuck than in Jesus Christ. But it is so important that our faith is not in a man or a person, but in Jesus Christ and what he's done. Joshua then reminds them of their personal experience of God. In verse 3, he tells them what they have seen personally. You have seen all that the Lord, your God, has done to all these nations because of you. You. God loves you. I can't tell you the people that would come up to my father, and sometimes me, and say, I know you have a direct line to God, so will you pray for me? It's like, my line is as direct as your line. We all have a direct line to Jesus. He's our emergency number on our cell phones. They have seen for themselves. God defeated the nations for them personally. Joshua is saying, you're the reason. It wasn't for me. It's for you that you personally might have the promises. You see, the treasury of faith is first personal. And then Joshua tells them four times that God 
thought for them. In verse 14, Joshua says, behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. Again, you can't lean on me. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord, your God, spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you and not one word of them has failed. Part of the treasury of faith is saying, this is personal for you. It wasn't just for me. It's for you. Joshua pointed out to the leaders, God did all this for you because he loves you, because he is for you, because he wants you to have all his promises more than you want his promises. Their eyes had witnessed the work of God. They knew in their hearts the veracity of God's promise. When we pass on faith, we are passing on the presence and power and personal relationship of God. And we are not alone. The Holy Spirit is working with us, convicting, reminding, testifying to the hearts of our children, this next generation, the reality of God's love and work on their behalf. This generation needs to be reminded of what they have seen of the work of God, what they have heard of the work of God, and what they have felt in their hearts and life. You've heard this story before because my parents stole it from me and told me I couldn't use it again. When Char was a little boy, Char, again, the hyperactive child, this story is all about Char and Joshua. When Char was little, he used to have these deep questions every night before he went to bed. And I am very efficient. I like short answers and I love sleep. And I love to be in bed by nine. But I would do the Bible study. I would pray over each child like you're blessed, you're sanctified, go to sleep. But he'd always have a question like, Mom, I don't know if I'm saved. And I'd go back in there and say, say this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I need you to save me. I need you to save me. Be my savior. Be my savior. Amen. Amen. Okay, you're safe. Go to sleep. I would do things like that. I was just... You know, and then Brian would come home. Charlie would still be awake. Dad, I don't know if I'm saved. And oh my goodness, Brian would go in there, sit with him, go through the scriptures, assure the kid of his salvation, pray over him, hug him, even lie down next to him. I'm like, I already took care of that. So I was convicted, okay? I was convicted of my efficiency and my you know, mothering, but I had other things to do and three other children to attend to. And I was so convicted. And so this one night I'd done the Bible study, I'm leaving and Char says, Mom, I don't know if I've ever heard God speak to me. I'm thinking, oh, great. It's kind of like, what would Brian do situation? So I prayed and I said, God, give me an answer and give me grace for this child. I sat on his bed and I'm praying. And I said, Char, remember how you broke the dining room window this week? It was only one of 10 windows he broke in his life. And he said, yeah. I said, well, remember when you took the ladder and put it up in the garage and you climbed up into the eave and you grabbed dad's 
golf clubs, which dad had put in the eave so you wouldn't grab them? Yeah. So while you were doing that, moving the ladder and putting it up there, did you ever kind of sense inside yourself this voice saying, no, you shouldn't do this? And he's like, yes. I said, okay. When you brought the golf clubs down and you took that one golf club out, was there that same voice saying, I don't think this is wise. I shouldn't be doing this. Yes. Okay, when you took that golf club out to the backyard and you started hitting pieces of bark against the house, did you feel that voice again saying, this is not a good idea. You shouldn't be doing this. He said, yes. And I said, and then we know that the window got broken in the dining room and we can't afford to fix it. So we've just got the duct tape all over it. I said, Char, that's the voice of the Lord speaking to you. And I said, the more you heed that voice, that nagging but kind voice, I said, that's the Lord. And the more you heed it, the more you're going to hear it and the louder it's going to get. And he's like, wow. So I'm just leaving the threshold of his room. I'm about to pass the hallway into my own room and I hear, mom. I said, yes. He goes, I've heard the Lord a lot. We need to remind this generation, you heard the Lord. This is what the Lord did for you when you were two, when you were four, because we know their stories and we know God's grace on their lives. We know their story. We need to remind them of their story. Joshua pointed this out to these leaders. Next, Joshua reminds the leaders of all they have because of the Lord. Verse four, see, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for you. Again, by God's grace, they have the land, they have their inheritance, they have their homes, they have their farms, they have their communities. This is why we pray before we eat to remind our children that this food and this provision, this is from God. God did this. Our whole lives are miraculous if we would only think it out. And then in verse nine, for the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. Passing on faith requires pointing out all the gifts that God has given. James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. We need to point this next generation to all the good gifts that they have from God. You know, our nation is not like any other nation. The food that we have readily available, the markets, oh my goodness, all of this is a miracle. I have a friend who was on the mission field. She came back from Poland and her daughters came to these doors and they're, they, you know, open automatically. You know how they do? And their daughters jumped back and screamed like, because ah! the door opened in front of them, like, who's doing that? We forget. This is America. Doors open for us. And she said that they went to get water from their mom's refrigerator because they had never seen a refrigerator where water could come out the front door. And she said she comes in and her daughter's like all twisted up because she'd only seen drinking fountains and figured that was how you got the water out of the refrigerator. We have so much, but we need to take inventory of it and then get that inventory to the next generation to illuminate them to all that God has given them personally and corporately. I think we live in a nation that has forgotten how blessed they are by God. And they have begun to take the blessings for granted. 
and think that they've earned them or entitled to them instead of rehearsing and thanking God for them. Verse five, they need to be reminded of God's future promises. And the Lord your God will expel from before you and drive them out of your sight so you shall possess their land as the Lord your God has promised you. And then in verse 10, one man of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord your God is he who fights for you. He has promised. You see, this is not the end. The end of Christianity is not a house with a white picket fence. That's not the end. That's just the beginning. God has so many promises, great and precious promises awaiting. There's adventure. There's joy. And this is a book of promise. The Bible says that we as believers should be a light in this world, like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Our faith is powerful, and we should endeavor to have it on display, ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. With each opportunity, we can proclaim the reality of God's presence. We can testify of His power and personally speak of His love that we experience through our personal relationship with Him. Faith is not to be hidden, but shared. As we share, we testify to those around us that there is a God who is real and who loves them. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll finish our study on a treasury of faith as we continue our Possessing the Promises series in the book of Joshua with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.